If you're able, you remain standing, and we are going to continue our series on Psalm 119. We are on verse 73, the Yod portion, that is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is the letter that Jesus refers to in the Sermon on the Mount when it says, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law of God till all things are fulfilled. The jot or the smallest letter is exactly this one, the yod of the passage that we're reading this morning. So Psalm 119, starting verse 73, this is the word of our Lord. Your hands have made me and fashioned me Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I pray, let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live For your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. But I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that this passage will be preached faithfully. We pray that your spirit would grab hold of it and apply it to our hearts. We pray that we would love you more and love each other more through the preaching of this passage. We pray in Jesus' name and we say, Amen. Please be seated. The psalmist is praying the prayers of a person who has been changed by the Spirit of God in this section. Now, this is true of every section, but here he explicitly says that in verse 73, that he's praying as one who's being fashioned, is being changed, being recreated by uh, the Lord. This is the prayer of the believer. This is the prayer of the Redeemer. And this prayer, verses 73 through 80, gives us an example or examples of what we should pray, but also it gives us examples of what we should value as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a very, very rich passage, and I, I don't know, it seems like I say that every, every week, and uh, it was so tempting to do several sermons on uh, this passage, but we're going to stick to the plan in one sermon per eight verses uh, as we go on this afternoon, Lord willing, we'll finish, we're going to get to the halfway point of Psalm 119. So we're making good progress with the goal of having 23 sermons on this particular psalm. This is the prayer of the believer. This is the one who's been changed by the Lord, who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who is united to Christ by faith, who is united to the body of Christ by faith. And the first thing we see in verse 73 is that God is the creator and the re-creator. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. The word fashioned 
in, Psalm, in verse 73 includes the idea of making him who he is. In essence, the psalmist is saying, Father, you have made me what I am by the, my physical birth, but also by my spiritual birth. Now, God made everything. In that original creation, God made everything, but he also is the cause of every, the existence of every single human being. Not only is God the creator in the very beginning, when he created everything in six days, in the space of six days, and all very good, but also every time a human being comes into existence, God is active in that process as well. So each one of us has been created by God, not in an indirect way, as we are related to Adam, but also in a direct way that God is involved in with every conception of every, of every human in existence. And for the believer, if you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has changed your heart, give, taking out that heart of stone that's dead and not able to believe, and given you a heart of flesh that now is able to exercise faith in Jesus Christ, and you've come to faith in Him, is being redeemed by Him, if that's you... For the believer, the Lord not only is the physical creator, but the Lord also recreates you as a new creation in Jesus Christ. We read that in our responsive reading this morning when we read Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, where there the apostle tells us that out of, out of death, that's where we are apart from Christ, out of death he brought life. You were, all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. And out of his abundant grace and love, he got people who were dead in their trespasses and sins, changed them, and gave them life. In verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2, Paul says, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive in Jesus. Made us alive in Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. So the psalmist says, God, you have fashioned me. You've created me originally, but you also recreated me in my spiritual birth. And that's true of all of us. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is true of even you who may not know a time in which you didn't believe in Jesus Christ. What a glorious uh, way to live, to not know a Christ, uh, not, not know a time in which you didn't know Christ. Somewhere in there in your life, in the womb, in infancy or whenever, God changed your heart and granted you a heart as able to believe and you've been made a new creation, even if you can't remember when that happens. And God recreates the believer in order to or with a purpose of giving understanding to fulfill his commandment. Look again at verse 73. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. That one of the purposes of being born again, of being recreated and then granted faith is that we might understand the word of God. So not only is God redeemed us, and brought us into his family, not only has given us eternal life, but also, alongside with that, he given us the ability to understand what is 
in his word. And this psalmist rejoices in that as an encouragement in his life, the fact that he can read the Bible, the fact that God communicates to him via the written word. And then he goes on to pray to the Lord. And you see that in verse 73, he prays that God would give him understanding that he may learn his word. The recreated person craves the Word of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you crave the Word of God. You crave to know the Bible better. You crave to grow in your knowledge of your Savior. You want to know more about the God who created you and who recreated you. And he says then, Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. The biblical idea of learning goes beyond cognitive and cognitive exercise. In the Bible, to learn is to know something and then act according to that. You don't know something until you actually have practice it in your life. So here, the psalmist is asking, Lord, teach me from your word that I may live according to the things that I'm learning from your word. And we see here that the recreated person, the believer, you, love the word of God with great passion. You, you want to know it. You pray that the Lord will give you understanding that you may learn um, the commandments of the, of the Lord, the word of God. Later on in verse 127, the psalmist says, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. In verse 97, that Elder Hoy is going to expound to us next Lord's Day, Lord willing, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's the basis for this prayer of the redeemed. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. But he continues, and in verse 76, he prays, Comfort me with your covenant faithfulness. He says, Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. The word translated merciful Kindness is a special word. It's a word that uh, theologians love, especially if you're a Presbyterian theologian or scholar or a pastor. It's a word that talks about how God relates to us. It, It describes God's dealings with his people, a people that he made his own by way of covenant. Sometimes this word there in verse 76 is translated merciful kindness. Sometimes, uh, if you have the ESV, it's translated steadfast love. Sometimes in the old King James, it's translated as loving kindness. This is all aspects of this, this, this word that describes the way that your God deals, relates to you. I don't know if you realize this, brothers and sisters, but in eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entered into a covenant with themselves. A covenant is a, is a treaty, is a contract, as it were, is a deal, uh, a, a legally binding transaction. And they, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, entered into a covenant with themselves, an intra-Trinitarian covenant. When God was the only being that existed, He entered into a covenant with Himself. He promised things to Himself. And he promised to do certain certain things because of whom he was. And the result of this covenant 
was the choosing of a multitude that cannot be numbered from every ethnic and language group in the world to be a people for himself. That's what God was doing before anything else existed. He was planning our salvation. And on the basis of this covenant, God deals with you, with his people, on the, on the basis of chesed. Covenant faithfulness, loving kindness, steadfast love, tender mercies. God is faithful to his people because he's faithful to his promises to himself. And that's why his promises never fail. We change, we fail God, we fall, we are unfaithful, and yet God doesn't change the way he deals with you, believer, because he doesn't change. And that's why Jeremiah can say, through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, the idea that God is faithful at all times, independently of us. If, you, if, you, if your heart has been changed, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot mess up your relationship with God. God won't let that happen. So this thought that He's faithful to us independently of whom we are is an amazing comfort for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the psalmist says there in verse 76, let your merciful kindness be for my comfort. The believer knows that God is faithful because the Bible tells him that's the, that's the, the case. Verse 76 at the end says, according to your word to your servant. This psalmist knows that God is going to be faithful to him because the Bible says so. And that's how we know that God is going to be faithful to us, because the Bible says so. And he continues praying, and in verse 77 he prays, Let me experience your compassion, because it is life to me. Look at verse 70, uh, 77. Let your tender mercies come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. God's tender mercies are His compassions. It's interesting that in biblical literature, the seed of emotion is not your heart. The seed of emotion is either your bowels, your intestines, or your spleen. Those are the, oh, and sometimes the kidneys are used for it. And if you think about it, when you're nervous, when you're anxious, when you're dreading something, where, where do you feel it physically? Isn't that kind of this general region? So, you know, as, as you approach, you know, uh, you know uh, maybe we could add that to Ethan and Valerie's uh, vows as they take, uh, you know, I promise to love you with my whole bowel, the entirety of my life, uh, as, as to be more biblically accurate in that. Uh, in that. No, we're probably not going to do that. But here we have this idea when he says there, tender mercies. He's talking about the compassion of the Lord. He says that God, God is compassionate toward us. And the, and the psalmist delights in the word of God because he finds that God is compassionate 
in it. The word compassion and the word sympathy, uh, as far as the way, the way that the words are constructed, what's technically called the etymology of the word, the way the word is constructed, mean the same thing. Sympathy having a Greek root and compassion have, having a Latin root, but both of them means suffering with. God is compassion. God is able to suffer with you. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior because He has suffered the same sort of sufferings that you suffer in life. Not just physical sufferings by being a human, by dying on the cross, but the anguish of struggling with sin. The, the anguish of following the will of God, following the will of God, even when that was not what He wanted to do. The suffering of being rejected by family and friends. Our God is compassionate, not only because he has a knowledge, a book knowledge of what it is to suffer, but he has an experiential knowledge in Jesus Christ, what of suffering is. So the psalmist can pray, let me experience your compassion because it is life to me. When, when Moses asked God to see his glory, God said, I cannot show you my glory, but I'll tell you about my goodness. And then he proceeded to reveal himself by saying, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. That's a description of God's goodness. And because, brothers and sisters, because you have been saved, you are the object of God's sovereign compassion. There's no time in your life where you're not experiencing the compassion of the Lord. There's no time in your life where God is not dealing with you compassionately. And this compassion, God's compassion, will not fail you. So you can bank on it. Therefore, it is life to you, as the psalmist says. But he doesn't stop here. He keeps on praying. And in verse 78, he prays that... God would vindicate him while he focuses on the word of God. He says, let the proud be ashamed for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. The psalmist entrusts any vindication to the Lord. Now, vindication is just uh, the idea of being proven right or to have your name cleared of some charges. The psalmist is not worried about that. There's all kinds of things being said about him. There's all kinds of things being done to him. But instead of focusing on clearing his name, instead of focusing on being proven right, he focuses on the word of the Lord. The the, the verse itself tells us that he was treated wrongfully. Lies have been said about him. The, The proud are after him. It's interesting that in this psalm, the proud is always the one who refuses to obey the word of God. That's what the proud is, and they're persecuting him. And despite all that, he trusts that the Lord will take care of his enemies. He understands that the Lord is going to vindicate all his people. It may not even be in this life, but God will vindicate and revenge every last thing done to his people. And we got to grab hold of that. And we let God clear our names. How, what did Jesus do when he was being falsely accused? Like a sheep that goes to the slaughter, he was dumb. He didn't say anything. 
He knew that the resurrection was going to vindicate him. Brothers and sisters, our resurrection and the final judgment will vindicate us, even if God doesn't vindicate, doesn't justify, doesn't tell us how great we are to the nations today. At one point, our names will be cleared of any false accusation. We don't have to worry about that now. The psalmist understands that the Lord is going to vindicate all his people, not perhaps not in this life, but he will do that. Therefore, we can do what he calls us to do. The Apostle Paul puts it in, in, in a slightly different way in Romans chapter 12, starting verse 19, where he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Not your wrath, but the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The psalmist's concern is concern, and the believer's concern is not to vindicate his name, but to obey the word of God. The, psalm, the, the verse again says, 78, I will meditate on your precepts. You take care of my enemies. I'll focus on what you teach me in your word. We all have conflicts in our lives. And I dare say that right now, everyone in this room has some sort of conflict, unresolved conflict, actually, in your life. In the family, friends, work, whatever realm it might be. Often conflicts in our lives, go, they go unresolved because we are more concerned with vindication than we are with reconciliation. We're more concerned that we'll be proven right than that relationship be, be restored. You're more concerned that our name has been run through the mud than that we have a loving relationship with those around us. We can be more interested in making the other person pay for what he or she did to us than restoring the relationship. And that's not how the Lord acts toward us, brothers and sisters. That's not how the Lord acts towards us. If right now, if you are holding people at arm's length, if you're breaking, you're not allowing relationships to be restored because somehow you think they did something to you and they need to pay for it, or that they have to be declared right, you're not acting like a Christian. You're acting like an unbeliever. As a matter of fact, you're usurping God's godness from him. We often run God's reputation through the mud. Every time we sin, we run God's reputation through the mud. Yet, every single time we repent, He restores our relationship with Him completely. He's not worried about His name being vindicated. He's not worried about how much mud we threw at Him. The relationship is restored. And he says, that's how you behave in this world. In Ephesians 4, 32, the apostle says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So let God be your enemy's enemy. And go on with obeying God. Don't waste bandwidth trying to vindicate or revenge yourself. 
Only the proud do that. And the proud are those who think their names are more important than relationships. If you think that clearing your name or to being proven right is more important than relationships in your life, you're not acting like a follower of Jesus Christ. You're acting like the proud that in the scriptures will find themselves in hell. He continues to pray in verse 74 and 79. He prays, make me a blessing to my brethren and my brethren a blessing to me. In verse 74, he says, those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. And in verse 79, let those who fear you turn to me. Those who know your testimonies. Being born again and living in community always go hand in hand. In the same way that a child is born into a family, the believer is born into the church. No one is ever born again to be alone. You hear me? No one is ever saved by Christ to be alone. And the psalmist understood this concept and prayed that he would be a blessing to his spiritual family. He prays that in 74. Help me to be a blessing to my spiritual family. I hope in you, and that's a blessing for those that are around me. And this is kind of an example of rejoicing with those that rejoice. Let them rejoice with me as I hope in you. But he also prays that the brethren will be a blessing to him. That's what he does in verse 79. So you can see both sides of the relationship. He wants to be a blessing to others and wants others to be a blessing to them. And this mutual blessing is grounded on the obedience, obedience to the word of God. In both verse 74 and verse 75, he, grind, he grounds this mutual blessing in the fact that These are the people that fear God and that obey His word. And brothers and sisters, we are are the greatest blessing to each other when we are walking with the Lord according to His word. Do you want to be a blessing to people around you? Walk according to God's word. Do you want the Christians around you to bless you? Walk according to His word. The great thing is you only have to remember one thing. And we'll kill two birds, right? You want to be a blessing? You want to be blessed by the, the Christians around you? Walk according to God's word. Be obedient to the Lord. That's the way to bless and be blessed in the church of Jesus Christ. He wants to be a blessing to other believers, and he craves other believers in his life. He wants people to know God to, who know God to be around him. He wants the people who fear God to be around him. That's the people he wants to surround him, to be in contact with. He understands that having people around you who are obedient and zealous for God's word is a blessing. And that's what he wants. He's seeking people who are zealous for the word of God. People who would comfort him with the word. People who would challenge him with the word. People that would exhort him from the word. How about you? Who do you seek to be around you in your life? I've had it with Christians. I don't want them around me. I'm rejoicing more around all my unbelieving friends. Those are the people that want speaking to my life. Or do you want people who are zealous for God and His Word to be around you? The psalmist says that blessing is in being surrounded by people who are zealous for God's Word. Verses 74 and 79, they foreshadow the one another's of the New Testament. Uh, 
that show us that life in communities in the context of a local church is necessary for a spiritual revival. If you read verses 74 and 79, you get a glimpse of all those one another's that the apostles give us in the epistles and that teach us that we need to live in community in order to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ there. And he continues. He's not done praying yet. He prays in verse 80, Give me strength to walk in obedience to your word. In verse 80, he says, Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. In essence, give me strength to walk in obedience to your word. A blameless heart regarding the word of God is a heart that does three things. It's a heart that believes all that the word of God says. is a heart that's not selective about the word of God. It is a heart that practices the word of God by the power of the indwelling spirit. And it is a heart that repents when it fails to obey the word of God with a renewed commitment to obedience. So he says in verse 80, Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. Shame is appropriate when it comes from disobedience to God and should drive us to repent. We live in a culture that says that shame is always wrong. Now I say, oh, I've never heard that. Well, have you ever heard the idea of uh, self-esteem? That you should always have great self-esteem? That you should silence anything in you and outside that lower your self-esteem? That you should always be magnifying? That's the idea of silencing shame. But shame is appropriate when it comes from disobeying God's law. If we sin, we should be ashamed of doing that. Shame can be a gift from God that turns us back to Him. We shouldn't be so quick to dismiss shame if we sin. But the great thing is that we lay that shame at the foot of the cross. And Christ takes that upon him. And we're freed to continue in obedience to him. And brothers and sisters, the believer prays this way because he or she knows that God is good and does good. His judgments are right and he's faithful. Faithful. That's what the psalmist says in verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, the prayer of the psalmist is your prayer. It's, it, it, you do well in making this your prayer. You can faithfully and rightfully pray this prayer. So pray it and then live it out as God gives you the grace to follow Him faithfully. Let us pray together. Father, thank You for Your wonderful Word. We thank You that it's more precious than gold. We pray that we would love it with all our hearts. And we pray, Father, that we, as Your redeemed people, would follow You faithfully and love Your Word in obedience to it. We ask in Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen. Amen.